Every 14-year-old boy develops a furtive obsession that usually fizzles out before ever seeing the light of day. More often than not, these obsessions involve 14-year-old girls and can be comfortably filed by concerned mothers under such safe headings as natural curiosity and growing pains. At 14, I developed an obsession that left my concerned mother feeling bewildered and estranged. One bored summer in the early 80s, I wasted whole days on end becoming acquainted with test match cricket. In September of that year, the obsession intensified when myself and my younger brother bought a cricket bat in Cleary's for £9. For weeks, our speechless family looked on as we hurtled windfalls at each other in the back garden. Schoolwork eventually suffered. During each successive winter, I lay awake night after night, trying to hear fragments from the far side of the world. Radio 3 commentators described the fireworks of Bombay, the gardens of Auckland, the reign of Georgetown, Guyana, the mountains of Peshawar, the political unrest in Colombo, the cool sea breeze of Perth. None of my school friends were aware of my obsession. The worst scenario I imagined involved my being made an outcast among my contemporaries. Cricket was horrifyingly uncool, and anyone who liked it would be too weird for words. So I said nothing. While my friends bought tapes and their first bottle of Old Spice, I saved up for a Richard Hadley ball. Cricket became a love that dared not speak its name. Call all this a case study of an experience that's more common than most people would believe. I've since found more than a few people with the same obsession and a home from home in a small rural club just off the main road between Balbriggan and Swords. If you're lucky, the ground of Knockbrack CC can be the most handsome in the whole of the Leinster League. If you're unlucky, it can be nothing more than a damp, drafty hill that commands views of two fields of barley and the gable of a bungalow. Either way, it is the home of one of the oldest cricket clubs in Ireland. Great-great-grandfather played. My grandfather played. My dad played. Now I play. We've all played in one club and in one team. Seems to be a bit of a tradition. The one yeah. club, yeah. yeah. My grandfather played in it. My father played in it. Yeah. Now well, I played in it. And now my son is playing in it. That's well, four generations. With regard to the Knockbright Club itself, like it is one of the oldest clubs in Fingal cricket. Not really sure now who's the second oldest club in it, but Knockbright is reckoned to be the oldest club in it. And uh, I don't think they've had any break in Fingal cricket. In all of that time now, I don't know what they're aiming. Oh yeah, there was a break. Uh, the time of the black and tans, the war, there was a break of a few years. And actually, my uncle John, John, John Moore, John yeah. Moore his father, uh, Kit Lindsay, there was three of us, three brothers, Eamon, Tom and, yeah. and John. Moore, yeah. We started the cricket up it was a lapse of a couple of years like during that black and tan war so we started it up in 1925 and uh, from that on it there was no break from that on <laughs> in the 1930s uh, there was a team almost of mirrors ten turned out to play a game with the exception of Kit Lindsay. 
and the mirrors to one day. We'd hope to get in. <laughs> what was that? Was that now in uh, a league or, or was it just uh, a friendly? Or no, something? it was a friendly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Who have any idea who it was against? I have. I could. Ta- I could name them all. Yeah, we name them first. Well, there was three. There was uh, three. Two brothers of mine: Tom, Eamon, John. There was my uncle John and my uncle Frank. There was uh, Charlie Moore and Peter Moore. There was Jim Muir in Nixtown. And there was Tommy Muir and Peter Muir. Thank you. Today's incarnation is a far cry from those early pioneers who first wielded bat and ball on this turf over a century ago. Today, Knockbrack is one of the smallest clubs in Leinster, fielding three teams in the lower leagues. We wouldn't have any more, I'd say, than at, at most, even with, with three player yeah. members and non-playing members, we wouldn't have any more, I'd say, than about 50 at most. Now, that's yeah, male. There's a few yeah. women attached to the club as well, that does catering and so forth and that, and helps with teas on Sunday. But um, male-wise, within the club, I'd say there's not more than 50. No, there wouldn't. There no. wouldn't be more than no. 50. I'd say, I'd say there'd only be about 50 overall. Counting tea ladies, even. Yeah. Well, my, maybe in around in, 50. In around the 50. Instead of a small club, like, yeah. like, you know, but... Uh, three teams, like... We've three teams now, at the moment. The field is on loan from a farmer whose innings came to an end decades ago and whose generosity is now commemorated with an annual Challenge Cup. With views on a good day of both the Sugarloaf and the Moans, it houses a tea room that does for committee meetings, two toilets with doors that won't lock, and a dressing room that's matched by a shed on the far side of the pitch with a forlorn sign reading visitors propped against its side wall. Like all small clubs, Knockbrack's exchequer is forever teetering on the brink. Every year we have a subscription to the club and uh, members have to pay uh, around, sometimes around, maybe... Forty pounds and the juniors maybe pays ten pounds like and then we run talking classics and we run uh, sponsored walks sponsored walks and anything different uh, things like that that would make money Fundraisers. and uh, then we have sometimes we have generally have a dinner dance at the end of the season at fourteen glued to the radio in the small hours I assumed that when I inevitably strolled to the wicket to play my first game. It would be in a more illustrious setting. There would be a large crowd in shirt sleeves, a hot sun, and a flat manicured outfield across which the effortlessly stroked ball would gain in speed. I never imagined a blustery field on the side of a hill with a thoroughly disinterested horse looking on, and mud flying everywhere, and Lambay Island receding into mizzle in the distance. The ground itself, the only place that now bears the townland title of Knockbrack, is notoriously difficult for visiting teams to find. Second left after Mortis of the lap and lap. Yeah. Yeah. up here, but even still, some of them get lost. They take the first left. Especially the lads from Dundalk, they get lost. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I, I have seen more flair. I have seen <laughs> teams get lost as well. around here. Like you know, I mean, some of them. Like if you, if you make the mistake after you pass Mortis of the left and you take the first left, 
you would finish up about with the net a place called the Nags Head. You finish up <laughs> and you're turning right and you go to the Nile. So they're miles away. Yeah. Whereas if you come to the second left, you come straight up to the cross here. Like you know, and it's just the cul de sac. But um, I mean some of them have got lost. Just follow the instructions in the season's handbook. Some warm Saturday towards the end of May, take the northbound motorway from Dublin until you reach the second left after Marta's pub. From there, the way narrows up through a smattering of 70s bungalows and road signs drowned in cow parsley. At the top of that hill, there is a crossroads with a name still just about in use. Somewhere down the right turns that says cul-de-sac, on the right-hand side, there should be a cluster of cars at a gate a flat field, a smell of grass freshly cut, and a dozen or so men in white convinced that every move they make belongs to some grander pattern. At least that's how the idyll goes. The whole makeup of the game white flannels and sun hats and drinks intervals and pavilions and teas was clearly designed to preserve the fair skin of colonials somewhere nearer the equator. On a wet hill in North County Dublin, however, the elements can tend to take over. You have to be running in and out if you're playing cricket, if, if, if the rain comes, you're in and out and in and out, you know, and it's... Spoils the game. Spoils the game, really. And eventually, maybe, you have to declare that... The weather won the day. Yeah. Cricketers spend so much time just waiting to play cricket. There are so many hours spent pacing and chatting with the opposition in the hope that clearer sky will appear from behind the airport. It's difficult for the dedicated cricketer to explain why he will give up whole weekends of what should be high summer, to dress in whitish clothes and sit listening to rain clapping against the galvanised metal of the dressing room roof. It's especially difficult to explain why he will go through with such ritual even when he knows that the only outcome can be a draw, when he knows that one captain will finally seek out the other, agree to call it a day and share the points. The stoicism of the club cricketer is borne by the knowledge that the elements won't always win. After the hour goes forward, the evenings become noticeably brighter and warmer, and gradually the reek of mown grass and linseed oil pervades the garage. The moment will inevitably come when batsman number one will lean over his bat and nod to the bowler. The wicketkeeper will crouch into position, and the umpire surveying the field one last time will call play. The yearly events of this field are just an example of a whole world that happens almost unnoticed at the edge of the visible weekday existence. To most it would be completely invisible, but for the odd unexpected glimpse across parkland in high summer, or between houses down a quiet suburb in South Dublin. From the inside it all makes perfect sense. Most non-cricketers, however, find the laws of the game bewildering. The, the, game, the game of cricket is quite confusing, but anyone who understands it like, would stand all day looking at games and they go, people around here would go all around Fingal to a game, they'd go here and then they go down to the Nevin to see North County and then they go up to the hills and and then they'd probably go to Rush and they'd do a tour and, and, and 
Sure, Teddy Gildale, I'd imagine, oh, you know, that brigand that died last year, like he used to do a tour of, of all the Fine Gaelic Islands on a Saturday or the Sunday, wherever the game was. He'd, I'd hook to the Nebbit and then he'd say to whoever he'd be with, and then I'd go up to the break, and then I'd probably go back into the brigand, and he'd be getting <laughs> driven around all day to all the, to all the grounds. But when you, once you understand the game, there's no, there's no problem with it, but it is confusing. Anyone that, don't understand anyone that doesn't know much about cricket it's, it's, it says it's a very boring game. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone will tell you it's boring anyone. once they haven't experienced it themselves. Yeah. I remember how opaque cricket seemed when I first started tuning into BBC Two. It seemed to involve a lot of standing around that was occasionally interrupted by a burst of general shouting which meant that something had happened. Gradually, after months of study, I could tell the difference between a short leg and a silly point a batter and a bunny, a declaration and a follow-on. Things might have been much clearer if I had a tea towel like the one pinned to the wall of the tea room in Knockbrack, which has the heading, Cricket as Explained to a Foreign Visitor. You have two sides, one in, one on the field, and one out. Each man that is on the side that's in goes out, and when he's out, he comes in. And the next man goes in until he's out. <laughs> when they're all out, the side that's out comes in and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get the coming in team out. Sometimes you get men still in and not out. While both sides have been in and out, including the ones not out, that's the end of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Or in other words, what unfolds is a succession of batsmen of varying talent to and from the pavilion. At this level, Most teams have about three players who do virtually everything. The rest are bit part players hovering in the wings in the hope that someday, if only once in a season, whatever talent they possess will justify their selection. Luckily, the Leinster Cricket Union can't afford to subsidise neutral umpires for the lower leagues. The club cricketer can take comfort from the knowledge that the standing umpire is usually a member of his own team. And usually answers in the negative. It has been suggested that cricket is merely a means of working up an appetite. Every club in Leinster is judged by the quality of its tees. The impression given by even the most state-of-the-art sports centre, complete with squash courts and sauna, can ultimately be dashed by a limp salad sandwich and a dry slice of ginger cake. A good tea is, quite literally, central to the game. You have to, when we're half in and it's over, the others come in then and have a break. It's about a half an hour. And everyone comes in then and enjoys themselves and have a cup of tea. Yes, there's a half-hour break at the tea interval in all cricket matches. In Leinster and Fingal and everywhere else, that's the stipulated by the handbook of the LCU, like it's a half an hour. But the tea is part and parcel of cricket, as always been, as long as I remember it, you know. We're in Knockbrack's tea room. It's a priceless relic. A low prefab with a felt roof in need of surgery. 
two long tables replete with oilcloth and paper plates, and walls littered with the faces of past conquests squinting through uncultivated ivy. Ivy which for many years contented itself with the outdoor life, and which has recently penetrated the gap between the wall and the roof, and now hangs ominously above one of the tables. That bit of ivy came in through the wall and nobody's allowed. Well, the chap who looks after the friend here, Raymond Peters, like he, he more or less... He won't let us take it down. ...wickets and that, and this thing appeared in here last, last season, 1995, rather than someone come along and cut it at the root. And the next thing was it was dead, and Raymond came up and said... You come, Davy. <laughs> <laughs> so it came. It appeared again this year, and we left it there. But it'll no doubt die out. If it gets too big, we'll have to cut it and put it out again. Exactly halfway through each game, the heroes trudge off, applauding each other lamely. Pads and caps are left in the dressing room, and the tea room comes alive with chatter and the tinkling of shared spoons. The two teams sit on opposite tables, their backs to each other. The club scorer and miscellaneous others take the small table in between. There is the steam of tea freshly stewed and cups are raised for top-ups. There is news of matches from the other grounds nearby. Occasionally some youngster might wander in with the latest score in the test. But usually it's just the game of the day and news of the week just gone that's talked about over a plate of salad or sandwiches. In Knockbrack, the tea and its contents is taken so seriously that it even prompted a show of hands at last year's AGM. Yeah, well, what, what happened there, like with, the, with regard to the tea, is like for the previous couple of years we had been um, serving, serving salads for the tea, as you know. And um, the end result of it was, with regard to the salads, was some people like the salads. Well, a good lot of them like the salad, but a few people would prefer to have it at the sandwiches, like, you know, mixed sandwiches and all like that. So this year at AGM, um, we decided to revert back to the sandwiches again, and that's the way it was done all through this yeah. year. But um, I think it has worked out well. Like, like the sandwiches and the, the women-made buns and apple tarts and... Yeah, that's worked out. It's worked out very well. nicely. It must have been the only club I've ever seen that served salads for a long yeah, time. Like yeah. I've only been around six months. Well, I got salads in one club in Dublin now, and I forget now which one it was. I'm not sure, was it? Uh, I got salads, I think it was one day up in Belvedere. Yeah. It was a cup match, I think. And it was one of those games that started at 11. And you had lunch first, and then you had tea. salads for tea oh, or something. Yeah. But right. very few clubs have yeah. salads. So a lot of clubs used to look forward to sandwiches yeah. and that. coming down and having a salad. Like, yeah. well, other than that, like yeah. it worked out very well. It worked out well now. The tea is uh, very nice there. Like you know, like when you want to have cakes and buns and biscuits and, and sandwiches, it worked out very well. Yeah. The mixture of sandwiches. Mixture of sandwiches. Mrs. Danny makes apple tarts and I ate them. High cup. High cup on the low table. High cup. High tea on the low table, I give them. Yeah, Mrs. Danley gives us. Mrs. Danley here now, like, uh, like I mean, with regard to the ladies' end of it, like, she's one of the oldest. And this club. Her late husband was in the club, he was the vice president. Just have a laugh. 
hoping she pays the pubes. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, she's learned how to involve the show. Like, I mean, uh, John's, there was a lot of people. Well, she's, she was here for years, and Sean, she's Sean, Sean was captain for years. Yeah, he played, and he went out to NBJ's, we can't even get him back. <laughs> He'd have to put him in a straitjacket <laughs> and bring him back. But, uh, <laughs> but her late husband, like, was it, Vice Pass, something that half the ladies now, there was a whole lot of them over the years. Sean's mother there. Oh, Lord yeah. of Mesham, or she was involved with the cricket. Was, yeah. Eddie Lindsay's mother, Kit Lindsay's wife, she was involved. All of those people were involved over the years. But it's more, but except in the midst of Dandy here. It's nearly all a, a younger crowd like this involved with, with the tees and air, you know. Most of the players' wives now comes down yeah, and yeah, the tees, you know. So Anyone we can pick up. <laughs> After tea, it's back to the business in hand. Cricket is the only sport where players are expected to perform while stuffed with tea and cakes. So the second innings might be more gentle than the first. The procession to and from the wicket resumes, although this time the roles are reversed. Each delivery each bowler fires down is applauded. Each batsman is applauded by the fielders when he arrives to the wicket. There is applause for every scoring shot and sometimes there is applause when a run hasn't been scored. And each batsman is applauded when he returns to the pavilion. Even in the wilds of North County Dublin, the old formalities of the game are still observed. The dress code is not adhered to as rigidly as it might be. It's not uncommon to see the odd pair of golf shoes or even a shell suit sprinting around the boundary. These complement the usual flannels stained with mud and grass and streaked with red dye where the ball is polished. That's okay. blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's the foil and foil. But the red, the red stain is generally, it comes back to the bowling end. The fella that's bowling mostly has the ball and his stamp. Yeah. Uh, the red comes off the ball and he shines the ball on his trousers to get yeah. the shine off. Yeah. And the red dye comes, the red off, dye trousers yeah. comes off the ball and uh, it, it stains his trousers. Then when he goes home and his wife is giving out, he has to not a job getting the stains out of his trousers. That's where the dads come down. Originally, the white dress was designed to make the ball more visible, but these days it has become part of the tradition. And has developed into something of a uniform. White trousers, white pullovers, white shirts, white shirts, and either boots or runners. Most people now use runners, but um, traditionally playing cricket was always boots with spikes, like because half a lot of people, half a lot of people now play cricket in runners, and uh, and you see them nearly breaking their neck on a greasy condition. You know, the next thing you see them running after a ball and. Slipping on the ground and up and there and down on the ground and you know, but uh, traditionally it was like. But, but when they started off a hundred years ago, they used to play in in gabardine trousers. That was the team that won the cup in 1930. Every one of them is in is in civilian clothes, but they just have white shorts. They just have white shorts, and then as the years went by, the the traditional dress of the whites crept into it. Crept into it, like, yeah. and it's just generally accepted. Like, I mean, if 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 you go to play a game somewhere, or they come here to play a game, and one person goes out in civilian flowers, like in the middle of 
of the boat's hands. Like it looks completely out of place, you know. But it, it's just uh, there's nothing really compulsory about it. Like no one would object to a person wearing a tracksuit playing a game of cricket, provided he wore a white shirt or a white or a jumper. Or something, you know, we no objection. Most people think that cricketers are slobs, and indeed the vast majority of cricketers are quite unfit, relying on the legs of younger players to take care of the business of actually running. You have to be, depending on, on, on what you're actually doing, more so a bowler. If you're, if you're just a batsman on the team, yeah, you have to be fit enough to be able to have your run, to, to be running between the wickets. Well, it doesn't really have to be. Um, he has to be able to hit the ball far, more yeah. so than be able to run. But if it's a bowler, like he has to be able to have his run up, fit enough to carry on throughout the whole game, 15, 20 overs or whatever he has to bowl them. And in the field as well, generally, the, the younger members are put way out on the boundaries and that because they're, they're quicker and, and, and faster to the ball and that. Ed. Mainly the bowlers injure themselves quicker because they're exerting all their pressure on their legs. And my dad there, his knees are in bits from the years of bowling. Mm-hmm. Almost every year he has to go to the hospital. As Michael Sharp said at the, at the minor final junior branch this year, he retired three years ago and he's still there. <laughs> we, we tired well, from we, what? We don't know. There was two, two guys and we played that minor cup uh, last Last Sunday week. Last Sunday week. And there was two fellas on it that won the, the, that cup, the Junior Cup, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Myself and Eddie Lindsay. Eddie Lindsay and himself. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we won that. the Junior Cup in 1965. And 1965. Yeah. And we, we dealt with him. We were on the same team last week. And, and two, year, two years ago, in 1994, we'd done the double again at the Junior level. We won the Junior League Cup. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 29 years prior to that we had done it so every 30 years we're guaranteed yeah. a double well, we're we're guaranteed guaranteed double. Double. <laughs> and something every 30 years yeah. 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 generally speaking there like over the years like that Frank club has won something like like every couple of years at least like we might win a double like you could win a cup or you yeah. might win a league or it's a rarely a year that we haven't won very a very seldom like we really look we forward to 2025 yeah as in every sport, there is something special about winning a cup. Perhaps it's the all-or-nothing frisson of the sudden-death format. Or perhaps it's the thrill of being seen by family and neighbours in the local reg, wielding a minute lump of dented silverware. To a small club like Knockbreak, the satisfaction of a cup victory is doubled when it means travelling to the trim suburbs of South Dublin to play a team considered superior. Sweeter still when the side from Sandymount sets a total that seems beyond reach. Only to watch their own bowlers in the second innings being carted into the adjacent bowling green, tennis courts and private gardens. Total is passed with ease, but is winning really so important? Oh yeah, especially yeah. when you win a cup, 
our winning league or win anything well, like that. Well, a lot of brings, people are very passionate about it. Great, uh, great, uh, it brings the lads on then and keeps the club going. I honestly think myself, but with regard to winning trophies, for instance, like within a club, any club, not just this club, I think it's, a, it's important more so for the younger fellas. Because um, younger players in the team, like, you know, players like Barry and Sean here, like um, Chris Lindsay and Michael Lindsay and all them chaps. And Brady. I mean, we, and Brady, <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have played over the years, like, and I mean, like, we get great, we get great kick out of, like, out of being abroad with the game and playing in the game. But at the end of the end of the day, like if you if if you're not good enough to win a league, for instance, or a cup or whatever, well, I mean, it's not the end of the world. But I I think that the younger players, like the young chaps only coming through, like tend to look at it in a different light. Like I think that happens in all clubs. Like you like to get honours, like you know whether it's a league or a cup or whatever. It, it makes a club when you win something. Yeah, it's only it's only maybe a little medal. Or a little flag, but it's cup. the fact that you win the cup. If you don't win yeah. anything, you you tend to lose interest. That's if right. You don't yeah. win anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you football. Need to win something. Like if you get a county that uh, where it hasn't won the Sam Maguire for years, and then to win it, the next thing there's football all over the place. That's it's right. The same yeah. with cricket. It was just the same yeah. thing that happened last year when Clare won that Ireland hurling final, but they hadn't won it for forty or fifty years or something. Jeez, there was hurling everywhere, you know. Wakeford now this year the same. Apart from bringing silverware north of the river and keeping a small club competitive and alive, a cup victory is the most perfect possible excuse for a celebration. Although, whatever the result, the post-match analysis will invariably take place over pints in the Merry Cricketer. We generally we generally invite the teams down Valrudley for a pint or two. That's the local. Like that's the local, our local pub. The local pub. And we generally, when the match is over, win, lose, or draw, we invite them down friendly to the yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just transfers whatever is the, is the nearest, uh, nearest pub to the, to the club. Like, I mean, take for instance Mullingar, which I passed now yesterday on the way back. The fox is covered there on the main road. That's the local pub there where Mullingar and team come to Mullingar phones. I mean, there's always a local loads. Balradri down there, like in. Oh, Mortis of a lot. Mortis of a lot, like up Generally, up to Jerry Mortis sometimes there. It's on the way back to Dublin, like, you know. So, what kind of people are we? When it comes down to it, cricketers are usually reluctant to talk about themselves. Well, I think we're just average, average, average country people. <laughs> we just make our, do our best to try and keep the old club going from year to year. I mean, it's a struggle sometimes, like an hour. Well, mostly in Knockbrack. It's all the local area that's playing here. There's only one or two that aren't in Knockbrack. It's like everybody's connected somehow. Everybody's almost related. Yeah, to they're, they're, uh, well, they're a mixture. Like, there's farmers and there's... Well, we have bank like, managers and we have solicitors and we have doctors. <laughs> Most of the hills are made up. There's a lot of farmers connected with the hills. That's yeah, a lot of farmers. A lot of farmers connected with Roy. Farmers and, and here, North yeah. yeah. County, there's a lot of farmers. Yeah. Nearly all of the Pintown clubs are farmers. The only one that might not have farmers involved with is Valbriggan. They'd be all more or less in the town. Well, there'd be a yeah. few farmers. There could be a few farmers. Well, Thomas Murphy, like, originated from Manchester Town, but mm. he works in Valbriggan, like, you know. But, uh, but other than that, like. It does every. every 
from doctors to listeners oh, yeah. every walk of life playing we have yeah. surgeons and everything we have doctors playing with us and we have bank managers playing bank managers or farmers the confusion of identity seems to extend into perceptions of the game itself traditionally it was supposed to be uh, a gentleman's game <laughs> but I do often wonder about that like when, when I see some of the games and see some of Dunfarn and some of the decisions and the way people accept them on one side or other you know the gentleman goes out of it fairly quickly you know but but it is reckoned to be uh, it's really a, an English game the cricket more so than, than an Irish game and I think it was it was actually brought into this country a lot with um, with the English when there were, when there were based here there was a lot of English based here during the time of the yeah. Thames yeah, and right. even prior to that yeah. and the, the, there was cricket played in the garrisons like where they'd be ba- where they'd be based where there'd be soldiers based like I heard Joe Clinton went over this like there was one over in Lusk actually Raymond Farm yeah, I think was right. taken That's up with right. Army between Lusk and Rush and they had a team there I think at the time yeah. Yeah. it actually caused the GAA to be drawn up to stop the Irish people from playing the game that's so right. they would go and play yeah, Irish sports. Right, yeah. The GAA came in, in, in the middle of it then. Yeah, right. So the GAA drew up their rules and regulations not allowing anyone of that played Gaelic football or hurling or whatever to play, to play cricket or any other English sport, soccer or rugby or whatever it be. It. By September, the season has meandered through a well-established pattern. A few wins and as many defeats. A Saturday and a bank holiday lost to drizzle and the same tired dressing room banter. No centuries are scored, nor hat-tricks taken. No bones are broken, nor cricketing records. Yet they continue, even in the knowledge that most people think of cricket as a game played by toffs in cravats, with names like Jeremy and Sebastian. You go on like, you're la you're English. That's, right. That's the usual phrase, you know, anyone for cricket, <coughs> strawberries and cream. It's always associated that way. It's just supposed to be bar. But where I go is a school, there's a, an awful lot of cricketers going to that school. So there's always someone to back you up on the point that it is a decent game to play. And that it's not actually as boring as people like to make it out to be. See, I, was, I was up in college the other day and we were only after starting. And we had to stand up and introduce ourselves to the rest of the class. And explain. I was doing a sports coaching course and we had to explain what sports we played. And of course, it was only myself and another chap from the hills that said we played cricket. And uh, the class fell apart, laughing, fell apart. And um, we just had to explain to them that uh, they don't know what it's like until they try it. Because it can be really exciting and it can, it's a way of living really in, in, a fin- in the Fingal area. Yeah. So many people, it's, it's, it is, it's a way of life, yeah. definitely. Before you know it, it's winter. And the season disappears the way it arrived with a trickle of cancelled fixtures. The visible weekday world takes hold again and cricket migrates to the southern hemisphere. The future lies in survival, in the hope that the time-worn passion for cricket will renew itself in the next generation. I'd like to see this club continue for, for a long time. I'm a long time involved, not for a cricket club, exactly like you know. I would, I would like to uh, see the younger people in particular like taking our genuine interest in and keeping it going because I'm not going to be here all, all, always to keep the club going but I, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't like to see it happen, happen to it that it just 
Close it up. We're now a parent raise and then our C students taste it.